Quick note before the episode begins. On this new series of the Arzequi podcast, we are going to be passing the mic over to some of our colleagues from our department so that they can share with you the interesting EU projects that we work on. But don't worry, Tima and I are not going away. We'll be back soon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Ars Equi, the podcast on all things on law and technology. I'm Mariana. And I'm Michael. And welcome to another episode on the Pass the Mic series, where we discuss the European Union Horizon 2020 funded project, The Virtual Breakout. First, let us thank Tim and Paul for passing the mic and allowing in this space to talk about the BBC project, as we, we call it. We are very honored to be part of this podcast series, really. And before we dive into the topic, um, we can do a brief introductory round so the audience know who is who on this side of the mic this time. <laughs> so, Michael, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Mariana. So, thank you also from my side, Tim and Paul. Uh, here's a little FYI on myself. My name is Michael or Michael Cepich. I'm a research associate here at the department and involved in two projects. One is known as the virtual brain cloud, and uh, which is going to be the main topic today, as well as Biomap, which is another research project. In my personal research, I focus on data protection in the judicial system, as well as biotechnology law. What about you? Okay, from my side, as I already introduced myself, my name is Mariana Riseto. Uh, I'm also a research associate uh, since 2018 in the at the department. I'm also working in projects related mainly in health, specifically the Brain Cloud project, and uh, also was working in Biomap, but also contributed in UN-related projects, and then also currently working on Privacy for Kids. So after, uh, I think that uh, getting to know a little bit each other and knowing the who is who today, uh, shall we dive into today's topic, Michael? So do you want to tell us a little bit about the project? So the Virtual Brain Cloud project is a Horizon 2020 funded project with its goal being personalized prevention and treatment of dementia and other neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's. To scale results down to the individual patient level, the Virtual Brain Cloud integrates the data of large cohorts of patients and healthy controls through multi-scale brain simulation using the Virtual Brain Simulator. There is a need for infrastructures for sharing and processing health data at a large scale that comply uh, with the EU general data protection regulations, or as we abbreviated, the GDPR. The virtual brain cloud tries to close this gap, making health data actionable. Data protection concepts minimize the risk for data subjects and allow scientists to use sensitive data for research and uh, clinical tr translation, which is one of our main tasks. Would you give us some numbers and a little more information on other partners, Mariana? Sure. Uh, so, for example, to illustrate the footprint of what the prospective results of this project could be, perhaps it's important for us to visualize that the annual worldwide cost of Alzheimer's dementia was 777.81 billion euros in 2015. Yes, I have to read that. And it's foreseen that this number will raise to 7.41 trillion euros in 2050. Quite huge numbers. So early diagnosis is actually calculated to save up more than 7.9 trillion euros uh, in two by 2015. So 
I think with these numbers that that we brought into a room today, we can see that there, the importance of these prospective results of the project. And this is, I think, why the, the BBC is a joint effort of, uh, we are 17 partners from across Europe. Um, this includes 12 research institutions, sorry for the pause, a supercomputer center, four small media uh, science enterprises, and one patient organization. Also, perhaps it's due uh, to note that the project lead is Petra Ritter, a neuroscientist from Charité. So we are an interdisciplinary team that covers different fields. This is medicine, ICT, legal, and ethical. Talking about participation in the project, there are also external links and connections. The project works together with Indoor Research, a Canadian non-for-profit organization which has been contracted for technical coordination of the project. Plus, the BBC is a partner project of a European flagship project, the Human Brain, with its e-brain infrastructure, eBrains. Additionally, the BBC is actually participating in the European Open Source Cloud, and we <laughs> must not forget that the project is supported by the technical and legal and ethical advisory boards, which are reached out on a case-by-case -case basis and consulting from a sustainable expert advice on specific aspects. So, right, we talk about the relevance of the project and its composition. So it's time to look, I think, uh, to our role. When we look at our role, we're in a legal and ethical supporting role. So, Michael, how do you describe in deep our role and what do you find it in interesting? I would say our role is twofold. So on the one hand, we are there to counsel or assist or advise other partners when they have questions regarding the law, in particular in our case, state protection law and intellectual property law. And on the other hand, we do our own legal research. And as we, and that's also, of course, the most interesting part. As we identify a legal question in the course of the project that has not been answered so far or not sufficiently. And then if we find the time to go into depth here. We will usually discuss this among the group, sometimes even among the whole department. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll decide in which way we do the research and use the results. And that's usually either um, through a publication or a podcast. Uh, and coming back to the consulting part, one of our biggest tasks is to make sure that the virtual brain cloud already integrates data protection laws uh, in the development stage, so as the uh, project develops. And this is known as data protection by design. And at the moment, and if I look at the past, this is where most questions arise from. And for this, we also have established a legal help desk. And so on the one hand, we have planned work according to the grant agreement, so which it, it it's like an agenda. And, and on the other hand, we have short notice inquiries to work on that are brought to our attention, for example, via the uh, just described help desk. Uh, would you like to add anything on that point? Um, yes, um, in my personal experience, I think one of the most challenging parts is, and therefore I would say interesting parts, is translating the law into practice. Having these interdisciplinary teams makes this challenging challenge uh, sorry uh, for us as lawyers to translate it in words that are understandable for non non lawyers so we talk about our role and uh, therefore 
perhaps it would be also good for the audience to understand a little bit how we put our role into a product, an outcome. Uh, and perhaps it would be nice if you, Michael, can describe what we need to deliver and produce within the project. Mm -hmm. So derived from this twofold role, which is, again, on the one hand, assistance, advice, and on the other hand, uh, our own legal research, we're expected to deliver legal research results as well as legal recommendations. And in re research projects like ours, like the VBC, this is usually done via so-called deliverables. So these are documents of, um, depending who is um, drafting it, documents of medical, technical, or in our case, legal nature that describe a research task and the findings. And depending on the nature, they are either confidential, they're either confidential or public, meaning that you can access them or not. So, and our initial at that time was confidential deliverable was on the legal framework, in particular data protection law that would pertain to the VBC. And maybe to, to, look, to have a look out, our final deliverable will be a follow-up on this and will describe how we dealt with legal issues. So we outlined um, the legal framework and then we'll describe how this was implemented in the project. And furthermore, we have to include best practices and industry standards and we'll report on legal developments in this field. And these deliverables, they will need to be accepted by the project's consortium which is uh, basically the other partners, and in the long run by the European Commission. And depending on the grant agreement, a project partner may also be tasked to deliver through other means. We, for example, also hosted a GDPR conference about bridging the gap between health research and the protection of personal data. <clears throat> it is our it is in our discretion to also disseminate our results via other means like conferences or webinars. Do you have anything more here? Yeah, perhaps it, it just just in terms of deliverables, it's it's could it could be really interesting for you and just to say that this deliverables scheme is quite similar across uh, European funded projects and I think we have already mentioned this in the, the last two podcasts for ProCancer and the FSM. So perhaps the audience are already acquainted about, about that. Uh, but perhaps just to pick up on the last two points that you mentioned on dissemination, specifically one, sorry, on dissemination, that that's the, that's the conference and the webinar. So just to, to do a little bit of advertising here too, uh, we had um, the conference and the webinar recordings um, that are public in YouTube, and we will put it uh, in the description of the podcast. So it's also available for you. Also, perhaps it's interesting for the audience to know that we support partners in our in other deliverables, I mean, in their deliverables, for example, by uh, creating the data management plan or assessing and helping uh, providing a legal framework applicable to the cloud services in terms specifically to security. Just perhaps to sum up and to make this clear, what do you think are the main points and topics of our research and what kind of challenges are entangled in, in these topics, Michael? Well, I would say the overarching goal and topic includes the balancing between enabling researchers or in the end the virtual brain cloud as a project 
to process personal or even or often the case sensitive data while at the same time guaranteeing a high level of data protection as required by the GDPR. Uh, furthermore, we also collaborate with Alzheimer Europe, which is a non-profit patient organization, to make sure that ethical concerns are taken into account as well, paying special attention to the patient perspective. I would say that from a legal um, point of view, GDPR implementation and interpretation is one of the biggest topics. So this includes broad consent, anonymization of health data and identification of medical images, yes. roles of partners according to the GDPR, so either processor or controller, then also data security, certification and codes of conduct. So these are our key research and um, advice points. Do you think I miss anything? Missed anything? No, I don't think. I fully agree with the main points that you made. Um, perhaps I would only add one, one kind of end product that we developed that was a kind of GDPR and ethical compliance checklist that we provided to partners. I thought this was actually this is a really good practical tool for the partners to understand uh, when and how the GDPR applies and what to consider if they are processing personal data. Uh, I thought about going through the seven steps that we mentioned, but I think this is going to be kind of overwhelming to the audience. But basically what we did was uh, to provide the seven steps. The first one, like for example, the first one with a title, like assessing the type of data that they are processing. And then coming to a question, like, for example, what type of data is the one that you're processing? Is, do you think that it's personal data, it's non-personal data, it's anonymous, it's pseudonymized? Of course, partners are always advised to check with... Uh, Counter, sorry, cross-check with their data protection officer if there is one available at your, their research institution to see that these concepts are the concepts uh, used in the GDPR. And basically, this is what, what the product that, that we develop, and I think this was quite a good tool, um, practical tool. And I think additionally, and coming back to the points that you made, um, you mentioned identifying the roles of partners in the light of GDPR, right? Mm -hmm. So one of those uh, was actually also to provide some contract templates, specifically when we look at uh, joint controllerships and controlling and processing agreement templates uh, to be to put in place with the sole aim of sharing personal data within the project. So controller is defined in Article 24 of the GDPR, and uh, this is specifically a legal or a natural person who makes a decision how the data is going to be used. A processor is basically the one that is also a legal or natural person who is processing data on behalf of the controller. Yeah, and, and I think it's also for a difficulty for us, right, sometimes to... Yeah identify these roles in the partners? Clearly. Uh, this is something that, uh, although it's quite clear, the, the definition brought in the GDPR and also with the um, complementing guidelines interpreting the, uh, these concepts, um, I, I do think that when you look at into, the, into practice, this is not that easy to identify.
Agree. So perhaps um, also, and I think another challenge that we have is also the data sharing. And uh, so, so do you want to mention some of the things that we encounter when we we either think about data sharing already uh, doing the, the sharing of personal data? Yes, absolutely. So I think it's often very hard to tell if a data set includes just personal data yeah. or sensitive data as well, as in our case, <clears throat> like uh, brain data or health data in general, which merits higher protection and therefore has different implications when sharing them. And we find that the legal basis for processing is also um, sometimes difficult to identify. We, we very often use public interest in the form of scientific research, right. which uh, requires to also, in the case of, um, uh, especially in the case of sensitive data, to consult national law. And here we oftentimes need to collaborate with uh, other legal departments of partners uh, in the end to make sure we understand the national law properly. Another issue more on the factual than the legal side is that while um, this legal perspective may even be easy to solve, the data flow remains unclear, which is uh, why we must develop which partner is going to share which data on what legal basis to which other partner. So you see these are a couple of questions involved. Yes. And if I may, um, I think exactly, I mean, in particular to this project, we have actually so sorted out. Uh, there is already kind of a data flow identified and uh, thanks, of course, to all the partners who collaborated with that. Um, so perhaps just just a quick note on yeah. the current status. Absolutely. And, yeah. and then resulting from this assessment, we can then recommend the appropriate documents. The documents you just described, which is a joint controllership agreement or controller mm -hmm. processor agreement. But collecting this information often comes across difficult. Another issue arising from the transnational nature of these research projects is that we see ourselves encountered with questions of the scope of application of laws, in particular, the territorial scope. This means the necessity to assess whether for a specific data sharing process the GDPR is applicable and what it means for the partners. Would you recall any other issue that's important to mention at this point? Well, first I have to say this is kind of a Pandora box of legal challenges. That's a fact. Uh, but I think if you, if you ask me now, um, yeah, I think another another issue with sharing is when when you have incoming data to the project, the teams from non-European Union countries. So this could be a problem, right? Yes. So if we look at the law according to Article Three, Section One, GDPR, the GDPR applies to the processing of personal data in the context of the activities of an establishment of a controller. So again, that's the one who determines the means and purposes of a processing um, or the establishment of a processor. And that's again, the person who, the natural legal person who processes on behalf of a controller in the union. And that's regardless of whether the processing takes place in, in the European Union or not. So in short, <clears throat> so in short, 
since more or less all the project partners are situated in the EU, the GDPR will likely always apply to their processing of personal data. Now, when personal data comes in from a non-EU country like the, the United States, we are encountered with the question whether the processing by a partner is initial processing or whether we can determine this to be further processing with slightly different legal consequences. Uh, for example, for the determination of the legal basis for that processing activity. Yeah, exactly. I think that, um, as I mentioned before, the project is working with um, e um, the Human Brain Project and eBrains, and this has specific connections and data from, um, incoming from US. So that's why this challenge was important for us to, to research further. Okay, yeah, something else that I wanted to tell you is uh, that the other interrelated aspect that we have here in the project is uh, the cloud service, right? Because we are, the project is developing a cloud infrastructure. So one of the things that come up quite often was the security legal framework that, that we can, that we should implement in the, in, the, in the project. So we work a little bit on this. And can you tell me again the status quo, the status quo in regard to the legal instruments that are applied regarding security in cloud services? Oh, I can try. <laughs> Thank um, you. So in general, I think what makes cloud services so, uh, so special in terms of their legal dimension is their distributed nature. So as a consequence, we need to take into account, for example, that the provider of the infrastructure, for example, supercomputing centers are situated in the best case in, uh, in a EU country in France, while the cloud service provider is located in Germany. But this could of course be different. It could be in India or in the United States or in any country. Now the GDPR in its article 32 requires controllers to set up security measures appropriate to the risk and in a cloud environment processing health-related data, um, like the VBC, sensitive data are processed that require, again, the highest standard of security. Usually, the initial step is to perform a data protection impact assessment mm -hmm. to see what kind of risks can be identified and which measures could mitigate these risks. As this is very individual, Guidelines might help, but would need to be specific to the field to be practically, uh, practically relevant. So yeah. <clears throat> probably we would need um, guidelines on the processing in neuroscience projects or something like this. Well, that would be another project. Yes, that would be yeah. certainly another project. And yeah, but anyway, the decision to identify these security measures is an interdisciplinary one with the final vote given by the technical partners. Um, as part of the Virtual Brain Cloud, we were collaborating in particular with Fraunhofer, it's another research uh, institution, uh, to identify the concrete measures and were able to publish our initial assessment on the re relevant legal framework uh, in the European Data Protection Law Review. So it was quite an effort to, to just to collect all the relevant laws pertaining to such an infrastructure. Uh, yeah. Would you like to go into details somewhere here, Mariana? Yes, indeed. Um, it was quite a, a 
quite a hard work, and um, I think it would be also interesting for the audience to to hear a little bit more about this. Um, so basically, we have the question: What is the security level that needs to be achieved by cloud services providers? Sorry, in the in the health in the healthcare sector, in order to satisfactorily address privacy and security concerns. So in order to achieve this. We started by mapping up, by mapping the applicable legal framework to cloud computing, and here we noticed that it's composed of different legal instruments, which attain the protection and regulation of uh, these two subject matters, specifically privacy and security. But at the present, there is no legal instrument at the European Union level which targets cloud computing per se, with only one exception, the NIST Directive, which regulates the cloud computing service as one of the type of services under the purposes of 0.5 of Article 4. And here we identify uh, three areas relevant for, for security requirements set up by law. The first one, we talk about this, uh, the whole podcast, and this is data protection. And the, at the European level, we have the GDPR. This, and specifically, we looked into Article 32. And the second one is the healthcare sector. Here, we haven't found a European Union level a legal instrument which harmonizes any kind of security requirements. And the third point was the cybersecurity sector. And here we have two directives, and this is the NIST directive and the cybersecurity one, uh, which, yes, identifies certain security requirements and standards harmonized across the, the, the European Union. Um, basically, I, I think I will not go into details on what the requirements are because I think we are way past our timing for the podcast. Um, but I think these these main elements are really important to note. Plus, of course, soft law, and here we had identified at least three that are important to uh, to take into consideration when we think about security requirements for cloud computing. So, is there anything that I forgot to mention here? Well, I think in the context of security, and since you just raised soft law, um, I think codes of conduct or best practices could make the selection of certain security measures easier, but are largely missing. Mm -hmm. And we therefore, for example, in this project, reached out to external stakeholders and will be working to at least maybe start the process in our community um, of discussing uh, these topics with um, with others that also encounter these problems to maybe start, um, you know, cast the first stone and maybe start some initiatives here yeah. for our field. Yeah, true. So we can see that there are many questions coming from us to research on, which we are really happy about. And uh, for example, we start with what legal framework applies to, applies to cloud, what the territorial and material scope of GDPR is, how the roles of GDPR are um, assigned among the partners and within them, what, what are the legal bases for really kind of simple questions, but challenging ones too, what are the legal bases for processing person data for research purposes. So all of those, as I mentioned already, are doing a really kind of challenging but interesting and I think motivating work, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so do you have any final thoughts in this context? Well, importantly, I would say we need to understand the law and in our case, mostly 
data protection law not an end in itself, but rather a means to guarantee that people's data are cautiously used in the digital age, especially keeping in mind the fundamental law implications of the right to private life and data protection. But at the same time, we must also see the benefits of data-driven research and what it entails for the society. And I think the balancing becomes especially prominent in the health sector, where data are generally of particular sensitive nature, but the results from their use may be especially useful to human society. In this, some may call it conflict, the application of the law balancing on the fundamental level the right to privacy and the right to health, as well as the freedom of research, becomes particularly important. I see our role in making the research endeavors possible while making sure that they comply with the law. As we are publicly funded, I also see it as one of our main tasks to communicate our results to the public, which in the end invested into this project. Yes, I think basically all you say I agree, <laughs> uh, but just the last two points kind of strike me and specifically this striking the balance between uh, how, how prominent is in the health sector is going to be and the data and the sensitive nature is key and also the output uh, that it has to be publicly available and I think that's the whole aim of, of these kind of projects, right? So I think that's all for, from our side. Um, first, thank you, Michael. It's, I have to say, a pleasure to work with you thank uh, in you. the project. And thank you, the audience, um, for, for listening. Uh, this was Mariana. Yeah, and this was Michael. Taking over the Arts Equi podcast, presenting the Virtual Brain Cloud project. So feel free to check out the link below where we have the project website and the links to the conference webinar on data protection related topics. And maybe at the last point, uh, thanking Paul and Tima again, or Tima and Paul, for allowing us to, to be on their stage for once. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Adios. <laughs> Adios.